Welcome to Defining Rules, a podcast about jobs you may have never heard of. I'm your host, Kate Barrett. Let's explore the possibilities of what's out there so that we can find our perfect role. This episode is for my dog lovers out there. I've always considered myself to be a dog person, but this last year, part of my move to Colorado and the life I was creating included adopting a puppy. And since adopting Pepper, I have really become a dog person. I had no idea how much getting a dog would change me and teach me. And it's been quite an interesting ride. It's been far more challenging than I thought it would be. And I have a whole new respect for parents out there because if raising a puppy and a dog has been this challenging, I can only imagine what it's like to have a child. So bravo to all the parents out there. I feel like this is parenting with training wills. Today I have Elaine Berg on the podcast and she is phenomenal. I reached out to Elaine a a few weeks ago to help with a few issues with Pepper and Elaine specializes in dogs with aggression and fear and the things that I reached out about were things that it's more on the fear spectrum that I didn't want to escalate into a bigger problem. So Pepper is just turning a year old. Uh, The day that this episode comes out is actually what I've called her first birthday. Um, Being that she's a rescue, I don't exactly know the date, but middle of the month, it's kind of around the time that they estimated she was born. And so I know she's in this still very moldable period And I wanted to get some extra help from Elaine to make sure that Pepper becomes her best version. I become the best pet parent I can be. And Elaine has just taught me so much. I'm really excited to be able to share today's episode. She dives into a lot of common challenges that people have, whether it's excessive barking, leash pulling, just annoying behavior. We touch on different psychology or dog behavior that I know I've had to learn. And so it's been really, really helpful, whether it's just to develop the relationship between, you know, human and and dog or whether it's to help bring out the best behaviors in them. It's just been so helpful to speak with a behaviorist versus a trainer. And Elaine will explain the difference between those two in this episode as well. I just think whether you have a dog or friends, family, neighbors with dogs, it's so helpful to know more about them, to know how to bring out the best in them. If you have any dog lovers in your life, this will probably be one that you want to share with them. So let's jump over to the episode with Elaine Berg. Elaine, thank you for your time today. Welcome to Defining Roles. Thank you for having me, Kate. I'm happy to be here. Let's start with the first question of what is your official job title? 
I am the owner of Golden Rule Dog Training. How would you define your role? Well, I am a dog trainer and behavior specialist. I specialize in aggression and fearful and reactive dog issues. What is the difference between an animal behaviorist and an animal trainer? You mentioned you're a behavior specialist. What is the distinction that you would put between those two? A behaviorist has an actual degree, you know, has gone to college for and gotten a degree, whether it's a, a bachelor of science, a master's, PhD, something that has um, a specific degree. And there are behaviorists that are, I'm an applied animal behaviorist, an ethologist. There's a whole litany of degrees that now specialize specifically in that, whether you're working at a zoo, whether you're doing clinical work that just breaks it out and never has hands on, that's sort of that world. Dog trainers, which kind of go out and help people with their pets, don't necessarily need all of that academic help or kind of credentials behind them. I have a little bit of both. So I have the hands-on that you absolutely need to have if you are taking people's money and helping them with their pets. I also have some academic credentials, which I worked very hard to get, and I do continuing education, which I think is important when you're working with aggression and kind of those more challenging cases, as opposed to helping people with sit down, stay, kind of your foundation behaviors. And my credentials were certified. So when I say behavior specialist, that's because I do not have a degree. I, I am not a behaviorist. My degree is not in those. I have a college degree, but it's not yeah. in behavior. But I am certified by PhDs and uh, veterinarians that also have a PhD in animal behavior. And my continuing education wow. has to be certified by those clinicians and those PhD behaviorists. So that's where I chose to um, kind of link my certifications to mm -hmm. them. Would you say that a behaviorist maybe focuses more on the psychology of the dog than a trainer, or is that not a fair conclusion? My, I would say my own definition, and I don't know that there's one out there, is that a dog trainer tr will train initial behaviors or modify some existing behaviors, and that maybe a, be a behaviorist or behavior specialist changes the way an animal feels. Okay. So yeah, the psychology definitely gets in there. Sometimes medications are involved and I certainly work with dogs and in, in conjunction with a veterinarian because I can't prescribe drugs, of course, but right. we'll, we'll work in tandem or I'll work with a veterinary behaviorist. So that's a veterinarian who also has a behavior degree. And then I'm the boots on the ground that's applying all of that together along with the veterinary behaviorist. Got it. I understand from the work that we've done and we'll kind of get into some of those particulars of what we've worked on with Pepper and some yeah. of her behaviors that I first met you through um, needing some help. So yeah. Elaine, what is your background? You mentioned that you've done a lot of training and a lot of education. What is your background and how did you come to be a behavior specialist full-time? 
Well, uh, you know, always loved, you know, as, as anybody who's kind of in this line says, oh, I've always loved animals and all that. In high school, I did, I did a project at the children's zoo and I was able to get some hands-on uh, work there. And I've actually taken, I, I took those skills with me, which was great, some handling skills that I still apply. So that was very fortunate there. Then I did some volunteer work at a humane society where I, I said, yeah, I'll just walk dogs. And I said, we'd actually rather have you work with the animals and the public. We need that. So I said, okay, you know, if that's where you need me. But part of that is you're also cleaning kennels and mm. that gets you some hands-on. The more volunteer work I did where I was working with the public and the animals, the director of the volunteers said, we actually have a special program called Head Start, and we'd like to enroll you in that. They paid for it. That gave me some academic learning, and that kind of launched me there, uh, and that was great. At the time, I had a personal dog that was dog aggressive and human aggressive, and I could not find any help. There were no professionals that took on those two mighty tasks of, it's like, no, we don't do that. Sorry, we just don't do that. And I, I reached out online. And at the time, there, there was like a, a little group of people with aggressive dogs. And I joined that group and it was a moderated group. And it, I ended up um, linking up with one of the moderators privately. And she lived, she lived four hours away, which at the time was not that far away. And she started mentoring me. She knew I was doing this Head Start program. She had her own training business and she mentored me into classes I could take. At the same time, I was having hands-on experience at the Humane Society because one thing you had better do is get your hands on real life dogs. And it was ethical because these dogs didn't belong to anybody but the county. And so that's okay. The county knew, obviously, I was working with dogs under their purview. And um, so as I was working with my mentor, as I was taking this Head Start program, I was working with dogs, training that the county knew I was and started taking more and more classes and seminars and things like that. So that kind of launched me that way. Then my mentors, people need your help. When are you going to do this? And I said, no, I don't want to. And she she basically said, ask me several questions that how would you answer this? How would you handle this problem, this problem, this problem? And I rattled off answers and she said, you need to start helping people. Wow. And I mean, it, it took several years. It wasn't like it was several right. weeks. I mean, it was several years in the making. And uh, so I went from there. And so I started, I started off in aggression problems wow. so I could help my own dog. And then I started helping other people. What causes an aggressive dog? And I know that that's not a straightforward answer, but is some of it hardwiring? Is a lot of it experiences and conditioning? Just from your experience, what have you seen of commonalities and causes? I would say number one is, is probably early lack of socialization. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's the most common but there's a, a common misconception that it's all in how you raise them, that, it's, that that's all it. If you do all of the socialization and everything right, that there's no way your dog can take a wrong turn. And that's not true. There are genetic 
you know, thinks that you can do everything right and your dog can still come up with problems. It's no different than any other species that this can be a genetic issue. And unfortunately, we know that a mother or even a grandmother, human or any other species, including dogs that go under extreme stress, that that certain hormones and chemicals can be passed through the placenta. And that can affect human babies and it can affect puppies. And that can even go from two generations. So a grandmother that's stressed, that can affect grandchildren, that can affect grand puppies or puppies. So unfortunately, there are some things that, you know, they can just come out of the box um, with a propensity for issues, fear issues or aggression issues. Interesting, because Pepper is a rescue. She, I got her as a, a little puppy, but that's so interesting that I don't know about her mom or her grandmother and yeah. what their lives were like or the stress that they went through. And so that's yeah. reassuring to know some things just happen because of, mm-hmm. you know, what happened pre-me and what happened yeah. pre-down the line. Utero. So right. exactly. In utero. Wow. So that's why, as you and I have discussed, I said, we take the dog we have today, the dog that's in front of us, because you can try and guess and shoulda, coulda, woulda, but, oh, Mm -hmm. she had this trauma. And sometimes we do know, you know, there was a traumatic event. We witnessed it. We know about it. Right. There are people, plenty of people with rescue dogs and say, well, she must've been abused possibly, but not necessarily. So it, it doesn't really serve us to assume those things the best thing we can do is just take that dog that we have and love today and work with the behavior that's in front of us and take it forward. And that's so helpful. And I I think it just focuses our energy in the right place. I can either try and figure out the cause or you were so great and just going, yeah, we can just focus on who she is right now. It doesn't really matter or change things because that's, we're not there. Exactly. Are some dogs just easier than others when it comes to training, when it comes to temperament? You hear those people that just seem to have fantastic dogs with very little training. Is Are some dogs just easier? Sure. And sometimes it's, it's you know, it's also the match. You know, sometimes people just pick either the wrong breed or the, the time in life you know, you're 80 and you pick a crazy wild breed of puppy for you, or there's, you know, hi, I just got out of school and I got a full-time job in a tiny apartment and I got a super active Weimariner. So I'm keeping it at my parents and my you know grandmother lives here, just broke her hip. And you know, all these lists of things you're going, oh, geez, you did not really set up yourself or this dog. for a great outcome. So sometimes it's those factors that don't set everybody up for success. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, the dogs, I would say, people say, oh, my dog is stubborn or my dog doesn't listen, things like that. For me, those are motivational challenges. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, we just haven't found what motivates your dogs. For me, it's always easiest for me if they're food motivated. Hey, great. I can right. whip out that hot dog or that piece of cheese. I've got that dog's attention. Wow. Now we're, we're going. There are some, and, and again, this is, this is, you know, just kind of my experience. Some of the Northern breeds, you know, Malamutes, these 
Huskies tend to be less food motivated. Doesn't mean they're all of them are, but they are motivated by other things. So that mm. puts the challenge on me. And of course, in conjunction with their owners, say, what motivates your dog? Before I get over there, what does your dog love to do? Is it a toy? Is it, you know, what what can we do that's going to grab her attention and get her back to us instead of something that's out there, over there? Or does she need to be tired? Or does she need to, you know, what is it? So that takes away that kind of label of she's stubborn. No, we just haven't figured out what motivates her. But no, it does sometimes. And it's always somebody else's dog. It's like, oh, well, they got an easy one and or this and that. But I do think getting the right match. And if, if you don't, if you've never had a dog or it's been a long time, having somebody help you with that match. And I've, I've consulted with families that are, are new and, and I've got a bunch of breed books. I take them over and walk them through. I'm kind of a breed geek and say, here are their tendencies. You know, they're still not robots. There's personality within each breed, but here's what you can expect. These dogs love to run. These are couch potatoes. These ones shed like crazy. What's going to fit with your family and is a rescue for you or do you need predictability? Let's go talk to a breeder. You know, let's get to a dog show where you can see a bunch of them and kind of shop a little bit. Doesn't mean you have to get one from a breeder, but at least you know kind of what you're looking at and, and help narrow things down. But those kinds of things help. So getting the right match is one and then finding out what motivates. And that can help simplify getting everybody on the same page. And that makes so much sense. I think Pepper has just been so patient with me because she's my first dog and I am learning through making mistakes is what it feels like. It's just we're learning this together. And so I think she's the dog I think life gave me for the lessons I need right now. But I think doing it again, I probably would have, you know, made a few different choices on you just you learn as you go. It's it's probably like first time parents. They learn a lot (laughs) that they change when they have a second child. So absolutely very interesting. So you specialize in aggression. What are some other common issues that people reach out about and how do you address those issues? I put it out there that if you have aggression, whether it's towards uh, another dog or a human, I'm your person. For one thing, there aren't that many of us out here. So other trainers and vets will refer to me. They're they're glad to have me as a resource. Um, some people don't want the liability and it's not for the faint of heart, to be really honest. They're a lot of trainers that just do not want that on their plate. And so that that's always been I've that has always been my main specialty. The other one is probably fearful. Dogs that are skittish, fearful, reactive, all of those sort of adjectives are what people will call me about. You know, it the dog just kind of goes off on my neighbor or my teenage son. Suddenly, you know, they just don't like this one person. And, you know, I don't know why we've tried this. We've tried all these things. What is it? Or we just got a puppy and it's scared of everything. So help kind of helping them over those uh, things. That's, I would say those are the main reason that, that people, reach out to me because I'm, I am a one-on-one. I don't have group classes. I don't have a brick and mortar. I'm coming to your house to work one-on-one with you 
and your family and your dog to try and solve usually some really specific issues. The other thing that's been, and I didn't, I didn't start out as kind of this niche, but when I lived in Texas, it hasn't been as much here in Colorado, but it really became um, really kind of a wonderful niche that opened up were seniors and some people with disabilities that can't go to group classes they still love their dog, want to have their dog at home and have some manners. They need somebody to come to the home and work with them. And I remember I had an, an older couple and the gentleman had had a stroke and he he had many abilities, but he had some certain things he was unable to do and they loved their dog and, and still needed some training with their dog. And being able to find some out-of-the-box thinking to make that work for them within their home and with their dog. And that became kind of exciting for me because it, it posed new challenges for me. It's like, okay, how are we going to solve this problem and, and work around this? You know, no, this person isn't able to get on the floor with the puppy. How are we going to manage, re, you know, attain their goals without the typical answers that I usually, the solutions that I usually present? So that kind of became a secondary specialty for me was working with people who couldn't always achieve the same physical physicalities that I had, you know, solutions that I had offered everyone else. With the fear and the aggression, are those two linked? Does fear, if it's not addressed early, lead to aggression? Or what is your your thoughts on the two? Frequently, aggression is fear-based. I wouldn't say it automatically does, but frequently that's that's the end result of a dog who's fearful and mm -hmm. keeps trying to tell the world, its owner, I don't like that. Please make that stop, make it go away. And the owner, for whatever reason, it doesn't speak dog, doesn't mm -hmm. recognize body language, which they don't come with an instruction manual, but they've been giving all these signals please make it stop. I don't like it. So they have to escalate their body language and the way that they communicate with us until we recognize it as aggression, barking, lunging, and all that. So sometimes exercising that same muscle, which is it started off as cowering, going to the corner, running here, and, and an unknowing owner might go, oh no, it's okay. Come on. Drags that dog out. Come on. Come say hi to Aunt Susie over and over and over until the dog just goes, you're not hearing me. I mm -hmm. said, I'm afraid of whatever it is that Aunt Susie represents, whether she's yeah. you know, got strong perfume on, whatever it is that the dog doesn't care for and has tried in different ways to indicate, I don't like it, that frightens me, but an unknowing owner keeps pushing, pushing, pushing until wow. that dog escalates more blatant behavior that we now recognize as aggression goes, that was out of the blue. Where did that come from? It's not out of the blue in the dog's vocabulary. It just is wow. in our world. So how do you address the fear or the aggression? I mean, we've talked about counter conditioning. If you could talk about that or what is, what is the psychology once the dog's already gone to the place or the fearful dog that's in the corner, what's the appropriate response? And then what, how do we 
counter condition to maybe bring back a dog if we have done some of that damage? First of all, if, if your dog is indicating, I don't like that, I'm afraid, stop what you're doing. Just stop what you're doing. Don't force your dog to go see Aunt Susie. Or if, if your dog is saying, uh, for number one, if your dog is growling, do not punish a growl. Never say no, stop it. Even if you feel embarrassed, a lot of people are embarrassed if their dog is growling. Rule number one, whatever that dog is growling at, get more space between whatever it's growling at and your dog. You're your dog's advocate, more space. Space solves everything. So let's add more space. Number one. And frankly, you should, you should call someone. It's, you're already working with me. This, you know, this isn't a do it yourself thing. And I know that sounds like, oh, great. You know, you just are trying to pump the business. There's a reason it's a specialty. And there's a reason that, you know, the big box stores don't offer to fix this. But the, the quick answer is counter conditioning is changing the way your dog feels about those things. And it could just be one thing. Maybe it's just the garbage can. Okay, that's mm-hmm. going to be an easier fix than if you're going, my dog doesn't like all teenagers that are over six feet tall. Yeah. You know, tall, gangly young boys. Then it's that's a little harder to decode. And if your dog is already looking like it's going to bite somebody, that's a huge liability to you, your family, your property, your Mm -hmm. homeowner's insurance. And you probably, this isn't a YouTube video that you want to take on. You're not going to fix it by watching a TV show. Most of the ones that are on TV right now are disaster. And the reason they're on TV is because they're dramatic. Mm -hmm. Somebody gets bitten frequently the trainer. There's a well-known trainer. He's been on TV for years who every quality association says, please take him off. They won't. He makes lots of money for the, you know, TV companies or the, um, because it's, it's drama. Good dog training isn't sexy. I've told you this during our, our other talks is that it's when, when nothing dramatic happens, that usually means we're doing things right. Yeah. If, if a dog trainer gets bitten during a session, A, you failed dog trainer. You've had a bad day at work and you failed your dog mm-hmm. uh, client. You, they've just gotten to practice a bite. They've gotten to practice the behavior. And that, that is absolutely not where you want to go. So when that happens on TV and you got to see that dog bite somebody, whether it was another person or the trainer, that that's like the worst possible outcome. And, and people watch it over and over. Well, I saw so-and-so on TV and I go, okay, if you, if you're dying to watch that show, go ahead, turn off the sound and watch the dog's body behavior and, and it will make you cry. It's just, it's, it's terrible on every level. It's stressing the dog out and it's making them worse. That's not the point of the exercise. We're trying to make them better. We're trying to de-escalate all of those things. And it doesn't make for good TV, Mm -hmm. which is why most really good trainers who are making progress with dogs, we're not on TV. It's not not sexy. Yeah. (laughs) There's no drama and it's not sexy. So think think of the the work that we've done where there's no barking or lunging and you're going, 
okay, would that have made good TV? No. No. Who, who, who would want to watch that? Nobody. <laughs> yeah. It's so. just pepper chomping on string cheese and hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and then coming and then coming home. Yeah. And that's a good, that's, that was good for her. Mm-hmm. She learned a lot. Hopefully you learned something and yeah. yay, you know, chalk, chalk up a good session, but no, that doesn't make for good evening TV for anybody. Right. And so pepper falls more on the fear spectrum than right. just for yeah. anyone listening. Um, I'm not sure at, you know, what point she kind of had more fear develop, but she just, especially with male neighbors and things like that, she just found them intimidating and that would turn into barking. So I reached out to Elaine more so because I didn't want pepper stressed and it was just kind of not getting better with what I was trying on my own. And I needed those reinforcements to go, what, what's the root cause and how do I help fix it? And so this has just been so helpful to have someone say space turn around don't flood her and force her into these environments because that's going to escalate and then we did the counter conditioning with you know positive treats and reinforcement from a distance that she was slightly uncomfortable but not to the point where she had a reaction and you said that that was helping change her association in her brain when she saw that trigger yes but again, I, I don't encourage people to do it on their own. Right. So get, get somebody qualified to help you. This is what works for Pepper in our situation after your assessment, after we had been talking. Yeah. So that was just so helpful. You showed me how to look at her body and her expressions and what she was telling me that I just didn't know because that's not something that we're taught on how to read dog body language in the, in the tiny little, you know, overall we can become familiar with reading a dog, but it's the little things that I was like, Oh yeah, I didn't know that. So it's been so helpful having someone right there and to also make sure that my timing is right. Cause I, for me, that was another thing of getting the timing close enough or what to reward for or what not to reward for. So that is helpful. Just it's training me (laughs) for a lot of this. Can we quickly go through a few behaviors um, that are commonly unwanted with dog owners and the psychology behind them and what you would just surface level do to address them? I know this is going to be just a quick little teaser, but for these situations, any tips you could give on where to start? So the first one would be excessive barking. If you had dogs that just barked at everything that passed by their window? Well, first question is, do we know why? Okay. We live in the mountains. Why? Is it wildlife? Are, mm-hmm. are they, are they trying to alert you? It, you know, is it, it's, it's coming to the door. You need to see it, need to see it, need to see it, need to see it. Come, you, you should look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Or are there rats in the walls? You know, I've actually in Texas, I've had people, I go, they keep going to one wall. You need the exterminator. Turns out you did need the exterminator. Wow. So, I mean, sometimes it's, it's stuff you're going, wow, I didn't know that. I had, yeah. I'm a terrier, you know, and it keeps going to this wall. I'm like, you need somebody to come in and look at that. Up here where I live in the mountains, it's like, hey, there's a bear out there or it acts, you know, somebody's, we're working from home and 
the dog keeps going to the window and you know, you're so tired of getting up from your, I go, nope, you need to go check it out. Every single time, acknowledge what your dog is barking at. You know what? You got a dog. This is what you signed up for. And now maybe it's just a leaf blowing down the street. Maybe the guy is, you know, taking his garbage cans in. Well, you know what? Maybe it is a bear. But see, all those things are five alarm fires to your dog. Mm -hmm. And you need to look, acknowledge it and go, hey, Pepper. Oh, my gosh. Turns out Dave across the street is opening (laughs) his garage again. Yeah. Thank you for telling me. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, the dog will stand out. It's like, well, thank God, Kate, you finally got up and look. I've been trying to tell you this all morning. And then you can say, and that's enough. I've got it. You mm-hmm. told me about it. I know it. I've got it. You can stand down. Then after that, you can tell them to be quiet. But people who just sit at their office chair and tell them to be quiet over and over and over and over, it's very frustrating. You think it's frustrating to you, to you. It's a lot more frustrating to your dog that you never acknowledge their hardwired instinct to tell you something's going on. Yeah. Now, again, it may not be that important to you because it's a leaf blowing down the street, but all those things are alarming to them. So mm-hmm. go and acknowledge what your dog is barking at. Then say, okay, I got it. We can settle down. Go to your crate, go to your mat, go get your toy or whatever. That awesome. solves most of them, not all of them. Wow. And if it's something else going on, you know, get the exterminator, whatever. Again, it doesn't solve all of them, but that's, that's a big one. And I find most owners go, wow, turns out I needed to acknowledge their desire to go, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm, I'm your first alert that something's going on. And you know what? Sometimes you'll be surprised. Sometimes you really do need to look out that window and see yeah. what's going on. You might be surprised. You mentioned um, when we were working together, our tone and our reaction is really big. And so mm-hmm. instead of the, the yelling, which could be more barking, if yeah. we have a like, oh, that's no big deal or, oh, thanks, that's just Dave, that yeah. helps associate with her mm-hmm. the level of response that she needs. Sure. But I acknowledgement is a big thing saying, hey... You, t- you told me I'm in, I'm in charge of security. I'm the first line of alert. Yeah. Then you know, you, we expect them to chase off the boogeyman and then, and then you don't acknowledge that. And I think yeah. that's unfair. Yeah. Pepper does great with barking at the right things. I think she becomes used to who she sees often. So she's good at alerting me if it's out of the norm. So, but that, if there is, yeah. if there is a, a bird, that is in sight. She does. She will let me know that there is a yeah. bird that she doesn't yeah. like. So that's, she's pretty good on that front. Another common problem of leash pulling. What is, what is your go-to when it comes to leash pulling? It's usually impatient owners. And it's just because, you know, you're, you're not putting in, you're not putting in the time for the training and saying it's rewarding to stay here next to me. Instead, you both of you want to get to the end. Is it the park or get in that two miles? And so every time you reward it, you're going to get it the next time and the next time, the next time. So an exercise walk is different than a training walk. And it's, 
it's, it's not fun. You know, I don't think that's the fun, most fun part of training. So if the dog can get exercise somehow, that's not a leash walk, you know, in a perfect world, say, go get your yayas out somewhere. Now we're going to work on our leash manners. Awesome. And I just think it's, it's impatience on our part. And I, I'm certainly guilty of that. I, I, it's like, okay, let's get this over. We need to get from point A to point B it, in this amount of time. And the dog's pulling me. And I'm like, I do not have time to train this, but y- y- you need to. What about whining and annoying behavior, whether it's the pawing or like the nose booping? It's, you're rewarding it somehow. Somehow the human is rewarding that behavior. Dogs do what works for them. That is, that's a mantra right there. Put that on your mantle. Dogs do what works for them. So if they're doing it over and over again, somehow it's being rewarded. So Mm. see how you're rewarding it. Is it with attention? Probably. Yeah. Even if it's negative attention, it's attention. So you're somehow rewarding it. Wow. And then the last one. For we covered it just a little bit, but when they're fearful or timid with strangers, don't push. You're you're probably somehow embarrassed or you know, uh oh, my you know, my mom's here. Come on, did come see mom. You want come on? And they're like, no. The rule is, and one of our rules, whether it's a puppy or a new dog, whatever it is, the dog chooses mm-hmm. when and whom to approach. You don't get to drag that dog to you. Get that dog over here. Make that dog, you know, where they'll come and drag a dog over to meet somebody. No. You sit on the couch and the dog decides if and when she wants to come over and say hi. And if she never wants to come say hi, then I guess you don't meet the dog today. Yeah. And and that can be pretty tough for certain people's egos. And that's, oh, well, that's... You know, you give them time, then they'll do it. Just ignore them. Ignore the dog. Don't put that social pressure on them and let them decide whether it's a puppy or a newly adopted dog. Somebody just got out of the shelter, whatever. And there's, you know, I've got a whole litany of rules for newly adopted dogs and mostly it's taken the pressure off. And that's been huge when we first talked and talked about a a lot of different things. You helped me see that a lot of peppers, what I saw as issues were actually my expectations. I'm Mm -hmm. the one that wanted to go do park walks. I wanted to, you know, play fetch at the park. I wanted to go to dog parks, but that's not where pepper was at. And you really helped me see that she gets, she plays a, a big role in this. And it has to be both of us, not just what I want and to have the dog mold into the life that I want. So that was huge of just going, no, that she doesn't have to want everything that I want and I have to meet her where she's at. What is something that you wish dog owners knew? Well, it's ex- it's exactly what you just brought up. Find out what your dog loves. So, you know, oh, we got a dog to go to the dog park with us. You know, maybe all your friends that have dogs, hey, we all go to the dog park. You should come with us. Bring your dog to the dog park. You might not have a dog park dog. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. But but that's why we got a dog. Well, turns out that's not going to work out for your dog. So try and find out, you know, just like if you have children, is your dog, is your son sporty? Is he arty? 
Is he creative writer? Don't say, you know, we're trying not to shove our kids into these little molds of mini me or whatever. Same thing with dogs. And the other thing, and this is a really, it's minor. I don't know why this bugs me. There's this belief that dogs are pack animals. They're not. They are social animals, but they are not pack animals. So they're, they're not part of the pack. They can, you can have one dog. They're fine. They, they are social. They, but they don't necessarily like everybody. They don't necessarily like other dogs. They don't have to be with another dog or cat or whatever. They, they're, they're just, the idea of pack is this strange, I don't even know who came up with it, but they're Mm. not. So stop thinking of them as pack animals that they need to form and they have to be this and that they're not, they're just social. So They'll let you know how social they want to be. But again, they're not robots. They don't, one size doesn't fit all. Just try and tune in a little bit more to what your dog might like to do. So, so try some different things mm-hmm. um, and see, you know, what your dog might like to do. Maybe, maybe they would enjoy taking some classes, some little sport, you know, agility sort of things and, and see, do they like to hang out with other dogs? Are they kind of solo ones if they're not real social with other dogs there's something called barn hunt i've never Mm. seen a dog not like barn hunt anybody can participate in it i mean you don't have to um even though you know it's you sign up for it but it's a little individual sport and all that so there's all kinds of there's all kinds of things out there that dogs can do depending and and you don't have to have any special skill set there's all kinds of things out there to explore what you can do with your dog, see what your dog likes to do and, and how you can be a team with your dog. Yes. And is there a stage that's more moldable for a dog? I know. So Pepper loves other dogs and playing and being social, but she just goes way over the top and can't handle it and then has other bad behaviors. But is there, is that something that would pass or is it you know, we, we learn how to control ourselves and our excitement. So is there a moldable period that we learn other behaviors and then can introduce things or is it kind of, what is your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, puppies are blank slates pretty much. I mean, they learn a lot from their moms and their litter mates. If, if they spend the, you know, correct amount of time with them, they learn bite inhibition from their mom and their litter mates. You know, how hard can I bite before somebody gets mad and doesn't want to play with me anymore or won't let me nurse anymore? So those are things that are really hard if they're removed too soon from their mom or, you know, litter mates, really hard to install that for humans to install that in dogs. So, and that's important because you get them and they bite you too hard and you're, you know, that anyway, difficult to do that, but they start learning really, really soon. So we're trying to make positive associations the second you get them and making all those positive associations. They can have fear periods. There's a lot of controversy. I'm not going to get into that about if they get fearful, you just kind of back off and let them work through that. But they can, they keep learning forever. And I have found over the years, I don't think they ever forget anything kind of good and bad Mm. people who have been good to them and fun and, you know, met good things to them, but even old dogs, they, they, they love to learn. And and in the same token, I had, um, I had an 11 year old German shepherd 
And we had sad circumstances. We had lost our younger dog and we decided to bring another puppy in, which is always a controversial thing. Do we do this to our older dog? And I thought, you know, we could manage this. And of course, our 11-year-old had slowed down quite a bit. And and I said, okay, we're going to be careful. Oh my gosh, it brought new purpose to her, new life. She was like, all right, roll up my sleeves. And of course, being a German shepherd, have to have a job. And she stepped right up and brought that puppy up. And it was uh, it was wonderful. Wow. And that turned out to be great. And she brought that puppy up beautifully. And we were lucky to have her until she was 13. Um, instead of retiring, that brought life and gave her her job again. So I think that keeping dogs mentally stimulated, whether it's learning something new or giving them a new task is always a good idea. So saying, oh no, they're retired. It's not to say give them something they can't handle, but give them a choice of, would you like to handle this? Let's let's try this. Let's see what, what you feel like. And we were so pleasantly surprised that she really wanted to step up and take this crazy puppy under her wing and she did a beautiful job. So having old dogs, please keep them stimulated. Please keep them doing something with you. But yeah, but back to your original question. Yes, there are different stages of of learning and adolescence. The most challenging time is probably between six and 12 months um, when we Mm -hmm. kind of call it a puppy teenager. You get selective hearing. They start deciding I'm not, I don't like everybody, certainly dogs, not necessarily people, but they start becoming more selective about what they like and don't like. And you you start seeing real personality come out instead of just sort of blank slate, puppy, goofy, I love everybody, I love everything. Their their real personality starts coming out and you have to respect that. You can certainly guide some of it, but you know, their, their individuality really starts coming out in, in that stage of development. Interesting. Cause yeah, she is turning one year old this month. This is March. I know, I know. And being that she's a rescue, I have no idea what day. So I just kind of, it's the month. I just, I picked the 15th. I'm like right in the middle. Let's just go with the 15th. (laughs) But I love hearing that it's, it's never too late or a dog is never too old to learn new tricks. Absolutely. And even to create some new associations, is it still possible in the older years to kind of have them warm up to certain things or? Sure. Is, is, okay. Sure. But I mean, not never forgetting that, you know, we still have muscle memory and, you know, things just like all of us going, no, you know, I always, when I was a little kid, when we went to the beach, I got sunburned over and over and over. Don't love the beach. So mm-hmm. just like anything, the more you practice it, the more you're going to remember it, whether it be good or bad. So if if you have a dog that doesn't have great associations with something, that's going to be harder to overcome yeah. like it is with anything. But no, they could absolutely learn new things. That will certainly test your skill as a trainer, you know, yeah. how, how good you are with bringing those new things in. But, uh, you know, as long as it's, it's, it's positive and your dog is physically able to accomplish those things, I absolutely encourage people to keep trying new things with their dogs, no matter what age it is and see, they'll tell you, yeah, this is fun. Let's do this some more. Sure. Absolutely. I think that question of how good are you of a trainer has been the biggest (laughs) challenge for me because I have learned so much about myself, our first conversation, even 
to how we were raised in parenting styles is how I approached dog training. You know, I grew up in a family where it wasn't a discussion. It was just, you need to do this. And so that's how I approached dog training of, I gave you a command, you need to listen, but that's not always going to get the most positive experience or the best result. And so it's, Pepper has just been the biggest mirror for me of (laughs) my reaction or my patience. And do you find that through the clients that reach out to you, a lot of it is mental, emotional support for them and helping the experience of the growth that the trainer is going through as well as the dog itself? Yes. Although many human clients don't, they certainly don't want to hear that from their dog trainer. They don't want to hear that they're going to be going through a big transition. Many of them do say, oh, wow, you're training me as much as the dog. That needs to come from them. That's, it's not me saying, oh, I'm here to train you. Nobody, nobody wants to hear that. That's rude. But we, we really are training two species. And I have told people, I said, look, I, I can probably train your, your dog pretty easily, pretty quickly, but I don't live with your dog. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't live here. So that's not going to do you any good. You need to be able to get this behavior from your dog. So I'm here to help coach you to also get this behavior from your dog, or there's no point in me being here. Uh, and people learn differently. People also absorb that information differently. That's on me to figure out what's the best way to coach the human part of of the team and see where they're getting frustrated or, and for me, that's always more challenging (laughs) than training the dog. That's personally, that's always the bigger challenge is figuring out, Mm -hmm. especially if it's a family or a couple, maybe they don't agree on bringing a trainer in. Oh, we don't need Elaine or any professional. I've had dogs my whole life. So that dynamic can be a bigger challenge. It's like, man, just give me the dog. I'll let, let me just do this. But that's, but that isn't, that's only a small part of getting, meeting the goals that they've set. So that's tough. And one of the questions you had, had asked me before, and we were talking about books before yes. one of the, the most helpful books ever that I read was it was a um, book on family counseling as applies to dog training. And I thought, what mm. in the world is this? And I can get you that title. I don't have it in front of my uh, thought right now. But it was, I thought, what in the world is this? But it was specifically how a family counselor would apply those techniques to dog training. And I ordered this book on a whim thinking, eh, you know, I'll get to it. I read it and it, it truly has been one of the most helpful books that I've, I have ever read wow. in, because of the human dynamic that's always present, unless I'm working with a shelter dog and there is no owner, which isn't you know that common uh, anymore. And saying, you know, we have a husband and wife who are really approaching the dog training situation in their home from different places. And I end up yeah. sometimes kind of being a referee, which is shouldn't be my role, but it sometimes yeah. kind of 
ends up being that way. I'm like, look, I'm really just here to train the dog, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys are not in agreement or you don't want to be on here. And that is actually when that skill set has from that book has really helped me out in navigating some of those situations. A question that I normally ask that I completely forgot this round was around hard versus soft skills. And so, you know, hard skills is the formal education and the training that you've gone through and soft skills are things you're naturally good at or have developed. And so this communication and that is a perfect example of a soft skill that is very needed in your job and that you're very good at. So, I mean, you answered the the question without (laughs) me even remembering to ask. So are there any more books that you would recommend? I will make sure to mention the title of the the family counseling one uh, in my outro, in my closing, are there any other ones that you would suggest for people that are wanting to learn more about, you know, their dogs? I do. uh, I had mentioned some to you. Don't shoot the dog. Culture clash. Yes. The other end of the leash. Those are all really great because they're, uh, they're not training dogs. How to get your dog to sit and stay. Those, those are fine. But this, uh, what I like about these is that they're really changing and talking about the, the mindset that, that many of us have held and really hasn't changed that much since the 40s, since the 1940s, which is amazing considering, you know, that technology has changed so much, but that our, our approach and mindset towards dogs hasn't changed that much. You do it because I said so. I gave you a command. I, you know, house breaking. These are all really antiquated terms that positive training and more. And, you know, it sounds like splitting hairs. You know, it's house training, not house breaking. It's a cue, not a command. But Mm -hmm. it does speak to the mindset of what positive and more modern dog training would like people to think about mm-hmm. how how do you view your dog is it a companion are you an owner is it a fur baby is it you know is it a little human in a fur suit and things like that and i mean i won't get into my personal philosophy about those things but i certainly see them in my clients you know how they approach it is it my way or the highway or is it yeah. ooh, you know, I don't put my dog down. I'm like, oh no, he doesn't have legs. His little legs are broken. It's like, no. And I go, then put him on the, put him on the ground. We're going to need him to actually walk on the ground. So there's, we're all over the map with our view of what dogs are now. And I think those books are helpful in saying, most of us are not using working dogs to, you know, bring in the sheep. Some people still are and they're actual working dogs, but Making training relationship-based is going to get most of us closer to where we want to be than this 1940s Kohler method, which is where I started, which is very much a military style, choke chain jerk style. Yeah. And most people are a little bit happier. It's nicer and your dog has a more trusting relationship with you. And I, so I think those, those are good starting places. There's plenty of books out there. Dogs are from Neptune is one. That's a cute title. Um, I started the other end of the leash. I'm about halfway through and that one already has 
really, I mean, I've learned so much just about body language and that one Mm -hmm. was huge. It talks about the social cues and the body language of canines versus primates. And it really just helped me understand why Pepper is uncomfortable as we're walking down the sidewalk and a tall man is walking straight towards us. And this book helped me understand that that's intimidating to her just from dog behavior. They don't approach straight on. So just understanding why she had certain reactions, these books have just helped. So I'm interested in reading the other ones to just understand her more so that I can help her through it. And along Mm -hmm. with what we've worked on, I'm already seeing a lot of growth and progress. Good. So final question for you. What is the best piece of career advice you have either received or would offer to others? That you are you are training two different species. And to remember that, there's uh, Nicole Wilde wrote a book for trainers called It's Not the Dogs, It's the People. <laughs> and uh, I read that and I thought, yeah, she's fun and funny and, and also gives some seminars and stuff. And because most of us very naively get into it thinking, I'm going to be a dog trainer. I'm training dogs. Well, most of them are owned by the human component. So never forget that. If you can't communicate with people, if you can't get through to people, then you are not ever going to be successful with their dogs. And I do have to remind myself of that still. And I've been doing this professionally since 2004, because there are some days when I think I'm not up for the human component. Fine with the dogs. Always love my dog clients. Always love my dog clients. It's never a time when I don't want to see my dog clients. There are some times when it's harder to get up for seeing the, the human half, but I can't help the dogs if I can't mm-hmm. communicate with the people. This is serious business. Yeah. So you, you have to be able to take really good histories. You have to be able to talk to people and you have to be prepared for people who are not always upfront about what the issues are. So be better at interviewing and be mm-hmm. prepared for surprises when you get to your appointments. Another skill that isn't quite apparent when you just look from the outside, that it's really important to know what you're getting into. Yeah. So yeah, I'm always surprised when people go, I want to do what you do. And I'm going, well, okay, maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Well, Elaine, I could talk to you four hours and keep going, but ah, thank you so it's much fun. for your time today oh, and sharing with us. Thank you. How can people get in touch with you if they have questions or want to learn more um, about you? Uh, I have a website. Um, they're certainly welcome to contact me through my website, which is golden rule dog training, all one word.com. Awesome. Thank you again. We appreciate you. Thank you so much, Kate. Great to see you as always and give Pepper a kiss. Another big thank you to Elaine for all of her wisdom today and all that she shared. I know that I have learned so much and seen a difference with Pepper based on the work we've done together and the reading and research. So some of the books that she mentioned, um, the one on counseling is The Family and Dog Behavior Counseling by Lynn Hoover. I will link all of these books in the show notes 
if you don't have a pen to write things down now. Some of the other ones um, were Culture Clash and Dogs Are From Neptune. Those are both by Jean Donaldson. And then the book that I'm reading right now is The Other End of the Leash by Patricia McConnell. That one's fantastic. I highly recommend it. I know I will be checking out the other ones by Jean Donaldson to add to my growing knowledge and more of the psychology rather than the training. I think it's so important and it's amazing what I notice now after these resources. Um, It's just really fun. And I have been in my journey so far with Pepper, just really committed in setting a good foundation because I want a life with a dog that's fun and not stressful. So I am just knowing that putting in all of the work at the beginning and really being dedicated now is just going to add to the quality of life that we have in the future. So if you have any questions, I highly recommend reaching out to Elaine. She is fantastic. Check out her website, pick up some of these books, and just remember to have fun. I think that's the thing is these there are challenging days with Pepper, but there we have so many more days that are great. I have to give her credit where she's really, really good. I know I can tend to focus on what I want to fix and what I want to improve. But man, we have come a long way. And as I was reflecting on some of those harder days when she was a puppy and we were working on potty training and crate training, I know a realization that I had early on was try not to rush the process. I knew that there would be a day when I would miss that tiny little puppy and I didn't want to get too far ahead of myself because there was always going to be something to work on. And here I am several months later, she's a year old, and we still have a lot of training to do. But I also, you know, don't want to just wait for the day where she has everything perfect because I don't have everything perfect. And that's that's not the goal. I know it's cliche of like, it's the journey, but I think focusing on the progress and the things that are going right has really been helpful. So Pepper, I love you. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you would rate, review all the things, share it with a friend that you know would enjoy, I would appreciate it. I hope you're doing well, and I will catch you next time on another episode of Defining Rules.